0: This episode of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast is brought to you by the letter M. The 13th letter, a fictional character in the James Bond series, and the Roman numeral for 1000, M is an important piece of the English language. Certain teams and schools start with this letter, such as Marymont, Miamisburg, the Miami Redhawks, Milford, Monroe, and Michigan just to name a few don't forget when local radio only talks about the rivalry week keep using your 13th letter instead of using the 24th letter M and now our feature presentation Covering sports in the Midwest, it's the Midwest Sports Network, MWSN.net. It's episode 195 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, as we talk about local sports. The Mr. Football Award was crowned, who wins it in Ohio, college hoops, rule five for the Reds, the Dayton Dragons get a promotion, and more. If it's about Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports, don't turn on the radio, turn on the local Sunday sports podcast. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Norfolk, Kentucky, and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County from Richmond, Indiana, and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the T Public and Redbubble shops, and find the latest episodes, please visit syndaypod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mallon. And when I say don't turn on the radio, listen to Cincinnati Sports Radio. It's good stuff. But it's episode 195. We're inching closer to 200 episodes of this podcast. I can't believe it myself. Also, want to say a big thank you to not only the people that you know asked questions for Mallon's Mailbag last episode, but all the listeners. This has been one of the most listened episodes in quite some time. Normally in a week, uh, I'll be lucky if I get around 40. Uh, That's 40 per episode. And I think I have close to 120 this week. So thank you one and all for listening. And hopefully you make the decision to subscribe and keep listening to this podcast because it does mean a lot to me that people do check it out and people listen. So we got some stuff to talk about. First up, The last three winners of Indiana State High School football. This tab has been open in Firefox for quite some time. We talked about the first three and then just never got back to the other ones. Stuff happens like that. So we're going to talk about Class A, Class 3A, and Class 5A. Class A being the smallest schools in the Hoosier State. And this one had the local representative, well, close to local, I guess, South Adams and the Starfires. They had a very, very nice season. Also, Covenant Christian as well. They played a lot of southeastern Indiana schools. And this one, probably the most exciting of the state champs in Indiana. As Covenant Christian holds off South Adams 41-40. to South Adams finishes the year 13-1. Covenant Christian, a perfect 15-0 record. Splendid stuff. James Arnold of South Adams named the Rest Mental Attitude Award recipient. And Covenant Christian wins their first state title in any sport. So congrats goes out to CC there. And from what I remember, South Adams was trailing by a large chunk and then took the lead late. And then Covenant Christian came back. And won it. So again, congrats to those two squads. Now for Class 3A, it's Indianapolis Bishop Chatard 42, Danville 14. And Chatard rolls to state record extending 15th title. Very impressive up there. And... Chittard goes to 13-1, Danville 11-1 on the year. And last up, Class 5A. It's Indianapolis Cathedral. You know that team that played all the GCL South schools and I think beat all of them. Well, they took their 13th football crown and they defeat Zionsville 46-28. And that gives Indianapolis Cathedral a 13-1 overall record. Zionsville goes to 7-6. and six. And just to recap, 2-4-6 and six in Indiana, because again, it's been a while. Western Boone wins the Class 2A state champ, 36-35, over Fort Wayne Bishop Lures. I forgot that was a one-point game. Roncalli, 49, Hobart, 7. Remember, head coach uh, Ronberg, he's won a state title. In Kentucky with Covington Christian, a couple with Moeller, and now one in Indiana. Now a lot of coaches can say they've won state titles in three different states. So very impressive work there. And 6A is Center Grove 38, Westfield 14. And that closes out the IHSAA football schedule for good. And actually, let's go ahead and talk some Northern Kentucky football as well. Your local schools, the state semifinals are upon us. And next week is, you know, state tournament, state title games, I should say. And, yeah, I mean, today's perfect weather for it, isn't it? It's already close to 60 degrees. We had to kick our AC on in our apartment. But Covington Catholic will be playing Bowling Green High School for the Class 5A state semifinal. Beechwood will take on West Carter. West Carter knocked off, I believe, the last area local team in 2A. And Paintsville in 1A gets Newport Catholic. And Beechwood, West Carter, Newport Catholic, Paintsville will be at 7.30. At 6 o'clock will be Bowling Green, Covington Catholic. And that's all today, this day recording Friday, December the 11th. Keep in mind, Kentucky basketball doesn't start for, oh, January 4th, I believe. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, this virus has just wrecked a lot of things. Actually, is Beechwood the Tigers? Yes, they are. Okay, so I was wrong. Beechwood Tigers are taking on Wes Carter. West Carter's a pretty good team. They rolled over of Verona last week, 43-6. Dixie Heights season. A very good season for the Colonels ended last week against the defending state title winners Trinity Shamrocks 56-0 for the Rocks. Beachwood took on Breffick County and won quite handily. Tigers with a 52-7 win. Covington Catholic slinkied past Madison Southern 7-0 although this was a COVID forfeit by and Sovereign, so I don't know why you put the 7 nothing on there, but hey. And Newport Catholic got past Louisville Holy Cross 42-21. So that sets up week 14. I gave you the games, and apparently there's two more weeks after this, which um, state semifinals. I thought, you know, that's kind of it. So we'll talk a little bit more about Northern Kentucky football. It's hard to believe that... Ohio High School Football has been over for a couple weeks now. But there's one major award that most people keep their eyes out of. And, of course, that's the Ohio Mr. Football Award. It's the 34th award. And it goes to Roger Bacon's Corey Kiner. Very well-deserved for Kiner. Like I said, very special player. It was a shame that the Spartans didn't get to play for state title. But just seeing what Kiner did for Roger Bacon, I mean, that was huge. So, Corey Kiner, again, will sign with the Tigers on Wednesday, which I think that's this upcoming Wednesday because this article was posted yesterday. So, yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Just the third Cincinnatian to win the award. And this is the first time ever in the greater Cincinnati area that Mr. Football has went to Cincinnati back-to-back times. Last year was Evan Prater. He's now the backup for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team as the second-string quarterback, Ben Bryant, has entered himself in the transfer portal, which is okay. You know, sometimes fits don't happen. I mean, I get it. I mean, Sometimes you don't fit in programs. Sometimes you want to move closer to home. Sometimes you want a starting role. I get that. But, you know, now Prater's with the... Cincinnati Bearcats from Wyoming. So definitely looking forward to seeing if Prater becomes the starting quarterback for the Bearcats in the future, especially with the kind of season they're having. They're going to play for the American Athletic Championship against Tulsa, and that will be in Cincinnati. So, yeah, you can bet I'm listening to that game. But back to Mr. Football, besides Prater and Kiner, the last Cincinnatian to win it, you have to go all the way back to the space year 1992. As it goes to Mark Edwards of Norwood. All the way back, he was the first Cincinnatian to win it. And then again, 34 awards, you know. Well, then again, only three Cincinnatians. Mm. Now, not playing his high school ball in Cincinnati, but, you know, big part of the Cincinnati football team, Joe Burrell. He won the award back in 2016 with Athens, the Plains Athens. Is it the Plains or is it Athens? I'm pretty sure it's Athens, but there you go. So there you go. We'll talk about the Argo again. This is from Go247, spelled G-E-A-U-X. And this is by Shay Dixon, talking about Corey Kiner. Again, soon to be an LSU Tiger. Not a great season this year for LSU, but remember last year, I mean – Yeah, there's a lot of talent that got drafted. I mean, Burrow to Cincinnati, Justin Jefferson up to the Vikings. You know, very selfish of me. I was kind of hoping Justin Jefferson would fall down, but he was, you know, he was a pretty good wide receiver. So, yeah, he's getting taken in the first round. But Kiner is currently ranked as the number seven running back on the 24 7 sports composite, which he finished out his time with Roger Bacon. Roger back on uh, the article there. It's Roger Bacon. With 116 rushing touchdowns, 125 total touchdowns, and 772 points, which all three of those are number three in the Ohio football record books. Very impressive. In a shortened season, his senior year, Kiner rushed for 1,866 yards and scored 35 touchdowns, which... 11 games, Roger Bacon went 10-1. and won. Uh, That's a little bit over three a game, a little less than three and a half per game, which is good because those half touchdowns, ugh. So definitely the lone running back also for LSU's class next year. He's been on board with the Tigers since earlier this year, May 11th, and became the first commitment for first-year running backs coach Kevin Folk. And Kiner and Falk have had a relationship since Kiner's junior year. Kiner's been doing his own research on LSU academics, outside football. And Corey has been an LSU fan since he was nine. At a virtual tour, you know, COVID. And facilities, and football facilities. And his love just went tenfold from there. So, yeah, I don't see Kiner transferring out. But I really, really hope he does well for the Tigers. Although LSU did put themselves on a uh, self-implicated bull ban for, I think, one season. So his freshman season, that's not, I mean, that's not great. But, hey, it could be a lot worse. Just double-check on that from the same page. Again, go 24-7. That's G-E-A-U-X. Which I think is French, right? Is that French or Creole? Not entirely sure. But yeah. I mean, talking about Corey Kiner's career, Roger Bacon, very special. And who's to say we'll see anything like that again? I mean, there's great athletes no matter which school you go to. Even if the athletes don't commit to play college ball. Sometimes it happens. But <clears throat> you know, just look at Corey Kiner's career, what he did in Cincinnati very impressive. So I can't wait to see him rock with the Tigers. Because I know that's going to happen. So, again, just to touch up on the self-imposed bowl. It is a one-year postseason ban for next year. 2020-2021 bowl season. So maybe it is this year. In addition to already self-imposed sanctions. So... There you go. Corey Kiner is going to be an LSU Tiger, but not before he takes the Mr. Football title, the 34th Mr. Football title awarded in Ohio. Now, uh, Mike Dyer, who I talk about constantly when we're talking about Cincinnati sports, he does a great job covering high school sports for the ABC affiliate and Cincinnati WCPO. He recently had an interview with Mark Edwards, which was the first Cincinnatian to win the Mr. Football award. Definitely, it's a great interview. I suggest going to Facebook, listen to it. You won't be disappointed. So, that's a bit about football. Let's go to baseball because there was a couple things that happened during this week. Now, of course, this was the week where uh, Major League teams offered Minor League teams a connection into the farm system, and there were 43 teams that were left out in the cold. Dayton Dragons, you think they're going to be left in the cold? Really? Because no, they're not. They were offered by the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, if the Reds ever let go of Dayton, that'd be probably one of the most stupid things they could ever do because Cincinnati is about an hour away. Most people around the area are Reds fans. I said most. There are exceptions, of course. But, I mean, you get the radio games on 700, and, you know, you get Dragons. So you get to see possible future Reds with the Dayton Dragons. Now, what's interesting is the Dayton Dragons get a promotion, as I mentioned in the intro. They are moving up to Advanced A, or High A. Which, what does that mean in terms of talent you see? Now... For the Dragons, they've always been in single A or low A, depending on how you like to label it. I don't like using low A. That just sounds like, you know, it's not impressive. You got to minor leagues. I mean, come on. And, you know, I don't have to tell you about Day Air Ballpark. It's a beautiful facility. Don't need to tell you about the sellout streak, which is... Oh, I probably should look that up. It's, It's under 1,400, and I don't see it slowing anytime soon. Again with the coronavirus, who's who's to say what 2021 brings if it brings any sports? But we're not talking about that. What we are talking about is the Dragons now Advanced A. Now you're you're still not going to see Dragons become Reds in a, a, a wink of an eye, just like that. But for Dayton, the nice thing is if the Dragons have a home game, or if they're fairly close to Cincinnati on road games, which Lake County, Bowling Green are probably your closest. Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne too, uh your closest stops there. You have uh, injury reassignments, meaning you know a major league player gets hurt and they're starting their rehab. If the Dragons are home or close to Cincinnati, Dayton gets them. So, which is really cool. Uh, I think a lot of them went well, with the exception of Anthony DeSclafani. I think he, I, I think he blew his elbow out. I mean, that was it was great legs, and I think they put a ten spot on the first inning, and six of those went against DeSclafani in a third of an inning. And it's like, nope, he's not coming back this year. And I, I don't think he did. I'm trying to think what season was that? Was that the one where the Dragons almost lost a hundred? Was that the playoff year? I. Not entirely sure. What I'm saying is, you know, the Cincinnati-Dayton relationship is alive and well, and it's great to hear, you know? And I don't think Dayton was ever on the list to be cut. I mean, let's face it. When your facility rivals AAA, which is the top level of minor leagues, that's saying something. When your attendance rivals most AAA squads, That's saying something. So, no, I never expected the Dragons to be left out in the cold. Don't be silly. I wasn't sure how the class... uh, the uh, changing of affiliations would work. I mean, if Dayton would ever go to AA or AAA, it, it turns out the Midwest League is all going to Advanced A. And the Florida State League is dropping down to Single A. Which... Again, I never answered the question. What is the talent difference? Well, in my time working the scoreboard for the Dragons, we've seen a lot of players. And if you look up the history of certain players, their last year was playing in Dayton. They never advance further than that, or you know, they are their contract gets terminated by Cincinnati. They retire. You know, and that's not Dragons responsibility That's saying, you know, that's Reds making the choices there. But you you have your fair share moving upwards. When Dayton was in single A, you'd have, you know, of course the cream of the crop rising, you know, up to advanced A. Sometimes uh, a good time, and sometimes Dragons are in the middle of a, a playoff rush, and you send the best hitter up for a couple weeks in advanced A ball, which, like, really? But... Uh, I'm trying to remember. Dragons better hitting in the Midwest League, or is it Daytona that was? Pretty sure. Actually, I'm not sure, actually. But Advanced Day, I I presume we'll see a lot of the same talent. But I, I don't know quite yet. I mean, again, that's the second level on the steps of the minor league. Your next step will be going to Chattanooga, which isn't too bad on 75 heading south. You pass Cincinnati. Oh, wait, that bridge is still close. So, um, you know. But, no, you go to Chattanooga for uh, double A, and Louisville will remain Triple A, and then there's the big time in Cincinnati. So, don't expect too terribly much to change in terms of talent. Teams-wise, um, again, don't expect... That much. There's a couple affiliation swaps and I'll try to cover all the ones I can, but we still have Dayton Dragons baseball. We were never in danger of losing Dayton Dragons baseball. Now the whole thing is can we actually have a season in twenty twenty one in Dayton because of the coronavirus? I hope we do. I you know, it's always a nice day when there's baseball. But I want to scroll down. Where did I share that? Oh, boy. So there were a couple teams that were left out. And 11 full-season clubs did not receive invitations. And there's a few of them that were affected in the Midwest League. We'll talk about that. Your short season in rookie ball? Gone. Cut. And it's going to be part of MLB's new what they call it, dream team or something like that. Basically, it becomes a collegiate, wooden bet type of league. So, your teams in the Midwest League that did not get invited and therefore are no longer affiliated in minor league baseball, the Clinton Lumber Kings, which breaks my heart. Yeah, Clinton's baseball field, I think it seats what, 2,000? If that, there's a lot of lawn seating around there, but the history, and also the Burlington Bees. Uh, Burlington was with the Los Angeles Angels. Clinton was with the Miami Marlins. But previously, they were with Seattle Mariners for 10 seasons, I think. And before that, the Texas Rangers. For Burlington and Clinton, history is definitely there. I mean, Clinton's field, which, uh, what is it, Ashford University field, something like that. Or no, it's Nelson Corpfield, I beg your pardon. So that field was billed back in the 30s, not in the future, the 1930s, in the Works Progress Administration, you know, during the Great Depression and everything. There's a few that are still around. I forget if Burlington's was part of that deal. But I know Clinton's was, definitely. Uh, and also Burlington, they were in the Midwest League since the 60s, and Clinton... They were one of the founding members of the Midwest League. But if you look at their stadiums today, you know, you get the old-timey feel, certainly. But not a lot of people going through the gates. In fact, Burlington was towards the bottom, like the absolute bottom of Midwest League attendance. What's funny is you go west. Actually, there's one more team to talk about, too. You go west, and out of Illinois, that's most of your fields are very small. Cedar Rapids, I think. Well, no, Cedar Rapids and Quad Cities are your lone exceptions. In fact, they survived uh, the cuts. Uh, another team that didn't survive the cut is the Kane County Cougars, which uh, that, that surprised me because they have a pretty decent field. I think they seat between five or 7,000, one oh. of the two. They seat a lot, and it's a really nice field, and it's 30 minutes away from Wrigley Field. And they were part of the Cubs organization for quite some time. And they were with the Diamondbacks when the Cubs took over South Bend. And, you know, Arizona laughed. The uh, Silverhawks then renamed the Cubs. So, yeah, the Cougars won. That that surprised me because they draw a mighty mean crowd. Not mighty means boo will throw stuff at you. I mean, they're, they were in the thousands. Uh, I think one year they were really good. They were around 5,000? Dayton normally draws about 8,000. Fort Wayne's not too far behind. They're about 5,000. Maybe I'm thinking 3,000. I don't know. But Kane County draws a pretty good crowd. So that really surprised me. Now, this is not Midwest League, but it's fairly local. The Lexington Legends also get the axe, which they were part of the royals farm system in the south atlantic league so we never got to see them there's no like you know midwest versus south atlantic which is a which is a darn shame because i think that'd be pretty entertaining baseball but lexington got the axe and that that surprised me because i know lexington loves them some legends and i always thought they did pretty well at the gate too but they weren't invited so and your other team's full season not invited. You have the Jackson Generals and AA along with the Trenton Thunder. which there's a story about the New York Yankees and Staten Island Yankees. Not only did Staten Island receive word that the Yankees weren't going to be affiliated with them after, you know, Yankees said, no, you're fine. You'll be fine. They folded and then they opened up a lawsuit against Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball and the New York Yankees. So I definitely think we're going to see a lot more cases open up. I think I think we're going to see a lot of that before all is said and done. But who's to say, maybe we won't. So definitely I'm keeping my eye on that case. In high A, the Charlotte Stone Crabs, the Florida Fire Frogs and Kissimmee. You have the Frederick Keys. I mentioned Burlington Clinton in single A. Long of the Hagerstown Suns, Lexington, Kane County, and the West Virginia Power. Again, South Atlantic, so never saw West Virginia. But they were affiliated with the... Oh, I thought they were affiliated with the Mariners. Yeah, they were. For that... I for- Yeah, was it Pittsburgh? No, I don't think it was Pittsburgh. That'd be too easy. So, yeah, that's 11 teams not invited back. And you can find the whole list at Baseball America. Like I did. Uh, My tweet was basically saying, I was surprised about Kane County. Clinton and Burlington, it uh, it hurts, but, you know, they weren't drawing super great numbers at the gate. But you got to think of it this way that's teams that, you know, might not have the same number of employees. So there's people losing jobs here. And that's, that's a crying shame. That's the thing that, uh, that hurts. I mentioned in Iowa, Clinton and Burlington get the axe. Quad Cities, Cedar Rapids, they get invites. And so do the Iowa Cubs. So out of the five minor league teams in Iowa, three get saved and two get cut. And then I hiccup. In terms of affiliations, uh, Lake County still with the Cleveland Indians. I mentioned Dragons with the Reds. And Lake County is about the same you know, situation you're in. Cleveland Indians territory. If Cleveland ever let them go, then pfft, you know that's silly. All three Indiana squads are still alive, which I didn't realize there was only three. But where else would they be? South Bend, Fort Wayne, and Indianapolis. Indianapolis is still with Pittsburgh. I thought there was a chance that Cincinnati might flip them uh, from Louisville, but that didn't happen. Uh, it's not that bad of a trip. It's a little long, Pittsburgh to Indy, but. Eh, it's 70, so it's pretty straightforward. Uh, So you might wonder, why is this happening? Well, Major League Baseball wants to see every single major team get four affiliations, no more, no less. So that does trim a lot there before this move. Some teams had a few more affiliations, uh, more like your Dominican Summer League, you know, your Arizona Fall League, stuff like that. In terms of affiliate ball, uh, some teams had short season teams, some teams had rookie ball teams. Cincinnati had two rookie ball uh, affiliations with the Greenville Tennessee Reds and the Billings Mustangs. Again, Billings being part of Cincinnati's family since the 70s. Greenville has only been a thing for a few years. So what happens to those teams? Well, like I mentioned, your Pioneer League becomes, I believe they're going Collegiate Summer League, possibly Independent. There's a couple of Independent teams that made the jump to Minor Leagues. Uh, St. Saint Paul Saints, probably one of the most recognizable Independent teams in the States. They are now the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. It makes sense because St. Paul, and Minneapolis are kind of side by side there, so that's a pretty nice move. The Sugarland uh, Skeeters in Texas. Oh, did they go to the Rangers or Astros? I play. I'm pretty sure they went. They went to a lot of those teams, but you see what I'm saying there's a couple. There's going to be a lot of shift shaping. Uh, if you were wondering if Florence would get the nod up, I if there's a low A club or single A club around, possibly, but since they went ahead and extended Daytona, so I think Florence would be alright with that. Too close to Cincinnati, maybe I mean Dayton's not that far, but there you go. So I mentioned affiliations. The Lansing Lugnuts, they've been with the Toronto Blue Jays for quite some time, and my good friend Jesse goldberg Strassler is their play-by-play announcer. Well, Lansing still is there in Michigan. They survived, but they are no longer with the Blue Jays. They're going to the Oakland Athletics, so that means Oakland leaves their affiliation with Beloit. The Snappers are still alive, and as far as I know, they're not re-identified. They're supposed to get a new name, but... I think that'd be really stupid. I think the Snappers fits them. It's unique, and you no. Know, again, it fits the area. They will go to the Miami Miami Marlins because they moved up from Clinton. I'm trying to think who else. Fort Wayne is still with San Diego, and yes, the whole purpose was to slim down the minor leagues and also eliminate too much travel. Yeah, California to to Indiana, I mean. But then again, you're not seeing 10-caps go straight to the Padres. You'll see them climb up, and in fact, there's a lot of young 10-caps that made that... uh, I'm thinking of Fernando Tatis Jr. Man, he's he's a great player. He's going to have a great career with San Diego, unless they trade him, but then he'll have a great career elsewhere. But Tatis, definitely the big name. Again, for... uh, Single A and advanced A, you're not really seeing a lot of those players just move up. I mean, heck, when's the last time we saw you a know, player drafted go straight to the major league level? And the only one I can think of is Mike Leek. That's in Cincinnati. I think he's what? He was in Arizona, then his deal got denied, something like that. But there we go. Midwest League, now a high A or advanced A affiliate. So it'll be interesting to see how the schedule works since the Midwest League lost Clinton and Burlington. If they'll be West East or, you know, I, I'm still hoping there's baseball to be played. So definitely, you know, keep in touch with Dirt 24 on Twitter, former guest of this podcast and good friend. Uh, definitely he's got his uh, heart and soul on it and he follows, you know, all the minor league teams. So, We'll see. Just making sure. Ooh, in case anyone's looking for a job, there's a baseball developer for Cincinnati Reds. What's baseball developer mean? I have no idea. Maybe you're trying to invent the game where you know you have flat bats instead. Oh wait, that's cricket. But yeah, Doug Dirt twenty four, definitely a recommended follow if you like your Reds and Minor League Reds action. So let's talk about rule five. The fifth rule says, don't root for Ohio State. No, I'm sorry. That's this podcast. So rule five is when (laughs) lots of exciting stuff happens. A major rule five draft is if you pick someone from the minors, they have to stay in the majors unless they get hurt. No, no way around that. And if they can't stay up there, then you give it back to the team. That you uh, stole them from, basically. Or drafted them. Stolen is such a nasty word. So, the Reds did not have a single Rule 5 draft pick. But they did lose someone important in their farm system. Mech uh, Scaroller. I believe it's Scaroller. We haven't seen him for a couple years. Great pitcher. And definitely thought he would make it. But Baltimore decided Mac. Is a better fit for the O's. I hope he does well. But if Mac doesn't work out with Baltimore, then the or- Orioles have to give him back. So, Reds don't pick anyone. They were looking at a few players, but they all got picked before Cincinnati could pick them. So, yay. So, Cincinnati passed on the entire Major League Rule 5 draft. Minor League Rule 5 draft is, you know, it's the same, except... You're drafting for the minor league teams, not the Reds. Now, this one, they don't have to stay at a certain level. There's less rules and really less coverage. I mean, when you think rule five draft, you think, you know, okay, there's young pieces that major league teams are going to take away from club systems, and we'll see how they do. Uh, One big case that I remember, uh, I'm trying to think when this was. I think I was still in college. Yeah, because I was coming home and I went to Brookville's McDonald's for some reason. I don't remember why, but uh, Carlos uh, Monasterios for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was in uh, single A at the time, and then L.A. took him, and he was up there for a couple of years, and then he got cut. I don't think he even... No, I think he might have went back down to the Dodgers farm system, and then that was kind of it. So get what I'm saying. Major League Rule 5, you draft someone from someone else's minor leagues, they got to stay in the major league level unless they get hurt. Now the minor league phase, the Reds select six players, lost three. So Doug Gray did this nice article. Again, RedsMinorLeagues.com. So the Reds picked up from the Dodgers shortstop Errol Robinson from the New York Mets, a catcher Rilford Astuto. Astudillo, Astudillo. another catcher, this time from the Houston Astros, and Chucky Robinson Uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks, first baseman Yoal Yanqui. I think we might have have saw him as a Kane County Cougar last time Casey was in Dayton, but I could be wrong on that. A right-handed pitcher from the Texas Rangers, Wes Robertson, and another shortstop from the Arizona Diamondbacks and Stephen Layton. The Reds lost the following three to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Went infielder Claudio Final. Great defense bat this last year in Dayton. Eh, I think it went up to 180, and that was the highest, maybe, in the low 200s. Uh, Jose Sorrilla, which I don't remember seeing with Dayton. He's a left-handed pitcher, and he's gone to New York Mets. And also to the... New York Mets, a right-hander, Jesus Reyes. He was a great pitcher, and I remember him having a great year with the Dragons, and he's now with the Mets. Now, again, with this draft, you don't have to go to the majors, but they're in the minor league club of New York Mets now. So, let's talk briefly a little bit about Errol Robinson. That was the first selection in the minor league phase. He split time with AA and AAA, meaning... We're probably not seeing him in Dayton, unless it's a rehab assignment. His 46 games in Tulsa were strong. Hit 3-10 as a 24-year-old that played mostly shortstop and a little time between 2nd and 3rd. Which is funny, because shortstop is between 2nd and 3rd. Ah! No, he also played 2nd and 3rd. When he moved up to A. In 61 games, his batting average went down with the Dodgers. It went down to 220 from 310. I missed it when Oklahoma City was the Red Hawks, but uh, another subject for another time. Also in Double A, his uh, BABIP, which I believe is batting average with uh, batters in position, which I don't know why that's not runners in position, but hey. Double uh, A, he hit 381 with uh, runners in position. Triple A, Went down to 278. Not much power in the bat of Errol Robinson. But has more swing and miss to the game than you like. About one out of five times he'll strike out. Which, uh, a little high. But where he stands out and shines. The defensive side. He's a well above average defender. Two plus defender even. At both second base and shortstop. And also above average speed. Although his game in the base stealing world. Eh. So Errol Robinson looks pretty nice piece in the minors. Um, it really depends what Cisne wants to place him. Uh, Pens- uh, not Pensacola, sorry. Uh, Chattanooga or Louisville'll see him. I, I again, I doubt he goes to Dayton, but you know you never know. I don't know. I'm just telling you about these players. Wilfred Astudillo. he's the younger brother of twins Williams Astudillo. And Wilfred was strong behind the plate in his numbers. Second pick in the minor league phase of the glorified draft for Cincinnati. 20 years old. And he's with the Kingsport Mets, who did not survive the cut. He was in the Appalachian League, which uh, I don't think that survived. But anyway, 36 games, a 267 batting average, and strong behind the plate. Just two pass balls against the catcher. And threw out 12 of 26 attempted base stealers, which is 46% for the Kings for Kingsport Mets, even. Chucky Robinson, he's the third pick by the Reds. He was drafted with the 21st round pick of Houston back in 2016, and he reached the AA level of Houston's Meyer League. His last two years, he struggled at the plate, uh, about a sub 300 on base percentage, according to this article from Doug Gray in both Advanced A and A, along with a 661 and a 600 OPS. And his strikeout rate, Chucky e. Robinson, jumped up to 29% as he struck out 118 times in 409 plate appearances. Not a lot of power showing up in the bat, but potential if he can piece things together. And also, very good defensively behind the plate which is nice. Reds pick up two catchers that are really strong behind the dish. Now, if they can start to hit well, then that'd be great. But, again, these players don't have to go to Cincinnati. They're just in Cincinnati's farm system. Baseball America named him the best defensive catcher among the Houston Astros minor league players heading into what would have been 2020 season. In 2018, threw out 54 attempted base stealers for Buoy's Creek. That's advanced a day. In 2019, followed that up with a 29% caught stealing ray for Corpus Christi in double A. So, two defensive catchers. If they can turn it on with the bat, might be important pieces. Fourth pick, Yoel young I believe that's Yoel young He worked his way up to advanced A level with the... D backs and 2019 with uh, Visalia. He hit 272 in the hitter friendly California League. 84 games, walked 70 times, 76 strikeouts, and swiped 17 bases. Like I mentioned, I believe we saw Yang Kui with Kane County last time the Cougars were at then 5th, 3rd Field. Because that name does sound familiar, but I just, I, I'm having trouble picturing it. I can tell you, uh, Jazz uh, Chisholm was with Kane County. Now, I don't think he's even in the Diamondbacks organization anymore. But there you go. There was also a Hagerstown native, and he got cut this season. So, there we go. Wes Robertson, fifth pick by Cincinnati. Originally an undrafted signing by the Texas Rangers in 2017. Split the 2019 season with single-A Hickory and advanced A Down East. Didn't spend much time on the mound on either stop. Made six strong appearances for Hickory. Where he allowed just two earned runs in 13 innings. Five walks, 10 Ks. Down East allowed 11 runs in 14 innings. Where he walked seven batters and struck out just six. He had to have Tommy John surgery. His last game was June 29th, 2019. Made his final appearance after coming off the injured list. And then... Need the TJ surgery. So, Doug Gray watched one of his relief appearances for Hickory. His one of two on MILB-TV. ML, through 96 with a good-looking slider around the mid-80s. Sounds like he's got promising stuff. Now, Tommy John, I mean, any surgery, doesn't matter if it's Tommy John, Timmy John, or Jimmy Johns. It doesn't matter. You're... You're not back 100%. You're just back, you know. You know what I'm saying, you know. You're not, I mean, surgery fixes things, and you're good as new, but it's not as strong. You know what I'm saying? You know what, I don't even know what I'm saying, but you get you know, my gist on it. Steven Layton, the last pick of the minor league rule five draft, and also the entire draft. Out of Nicaragua in 2016, he's worked his way up to single A. Last played in 2019, he split time between Hillsborough and the Northwest League in Kane County and low A. With Hillsborough, hit 264, 17 walks, 25 Ks in 41 games. And in Kane County, he struggled a bit. Two shorter stints in the league, one in April, and then one in August, and combining those stints, 159 batting average, three walks, 19 strikeouts, 33 games. Most of his time was at shortstop, but also some second-base experience for Layton, who is soon to be 22 years old. Most of his college career, he was a catcher. He only threw three and two-thirds innings in college across four games as a junior. Also pitched the summer following his junior year for Seacoast, in the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, but only through four four innings. So, again, the minor league rule five rules are, unlike the big league version of rule five draft, where you have to stay in the major leagues unless you're hurt, or else you go back to the team that uh, had you originally. Once a player is selected, they're under contract with a new organization with no stipulations involved. They can be placed at any level in the organization when baseball begins again. So, again, They're part of the farm system now, and that, you know, the team pretty much takes over the contract and everything, and then decides, hey, you're going here, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. The three that the Reds lost, I mentioned Claudio Fanal and Jesus Reyes. I watched with my own two eyes at Dragons games. The biggest one in that is Reyes. I never saw Zorilla play, so I don't have any information on him, but... Let me tell you, Reyes, when he was dealing, he was dealing. So that is Rule 5 happening for Cincinnati. Nothing major league to talk about, but sometimes that happens. Although uh, Nick Kroll, the new uh, uh, GM taking over for Dick Williams, said, yeah, there was players we uh, highlighted and we wanted, but everyone took them. It's like, yeah, that sounds like me in fantasy football. Am I right? Ha! So now it's time to talk some college basketball, that's right, and we're going to talk just the D1 schools today because, well, no, I, I wanted to make this a short episode and I'm already looking at it and it hits close to 50 minutes again. Man, when I start talking on here, you can't shut me up, but... We'll start off with the Xavier Musketeers. I know, I'm abandoning my alma mater. Normally, we talk right State first and then work our way southwards to Northern Kentucky. But I want to start with Xavier because they're off to a 7-0 start. It's very impressive. And they started this the Wednesday before Thanksgiving with a 101-49 to win against the Oakland Golden Grizzlies at home. Yeah, Oakland is normally pretty good. They have a lot of talented pieces and Coach Campy knows what he's doing as the head coach of Oakland. But just to dismantle Oakland, I was questioning, is Xavier that good or is Oakland that down? And I, I, I mean, that that's just like, whoa. So then the Musketeers follow that up. They Held off a furious rally by Bradley, but the Musketeers won it 70 or excuse me, 51-50. And then the next game, 76-73 winners over Toledo, in a game where the Rockets had a 10-point lead of one point. Yeah, first half wasn't super hot for the Muskies, but You know, I hate that nickname and I just use it. I'm sorry. It wasn't the best for the Musketeers, but it's what you do with the second half and coming back and winning by three against the Rockets. They're normally Pretty decent. So, nice three wins there. All in Cincinnati for the Musketeers. That next Monday, keep in mind, the Musketeers and the Xavier Invitational played Oakland that Thursday. That Thanksgiving played Bradley at noon. And afterwards, Black Friday played Toledo also at noon. So, all of those games happen at noon for the Musketeers. That Monday, so really Saturday and Sunday off, for Xavier's men's basketball team. They welcomed in Eastern Kentucky and the Musketeers escaped an OT 99-96. That's a high scoring game right there. That following Wednesday the 2nd of December Xavier got back on track and hammered Tennessee Tech 79-48. Now time to talk about the Skyline Chili Crosstown Shootout. It's one of the best sporting events in Cincinnati outside of possibly opening day for the Reds draft day for the Bengals when everything's looking hey we might bow for the playoffs and then we have another two win season upon us oh yeah I have to talk about the Bengals don't I (laughs) like I said keep the tank going get the offensive linemen out of Oregon and Sewell and work on the offensive line yeah that'd be great Anyway, Xavier Cincinnati. I can't tell you how fun it is to listen to it. I believe, i trying to think what I was doing. Was I at hockey? Was I broadcasting hockey and I couldn't? Or was I listening to uh, Joe Sunderman and Bear, uh, Brian, Byron Larkin? Excuse me. I forget. Yeah, that was a game that uh, 700 didn't have it because it was the Bengals game. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't listen to the Bengals game. I listened uh for a couple minutes. Not because Dan Horde wasn't there. No, that's not the reason. It's just the Bengals season. Yeah, another two wins season. Yeah. Anyway. Paul Scruggs, awesome player. Definitely his senior year, he's shining. Game high 20 points against Cincinnati. And for the first time since, I believe, 2013-2014, the Musketeers take the shootout from Clifton. That's the neighborhood that UC is located in. 77-69 over Cincinnati. Bearcats fell to 1-1. One one. We'll talk about UC in a little bit. They had a nice win against Furman. And Dan Horde was broadcasting it. That was the game I was listening to. I was very surprised there was a basketball game at 5 p.m. When I was going up to Piqua. More on that later. And yeah, Furman's got pretty nice program. I mean, power five, no, but hey, what's wrong with having a great team outside that? You know, as this podcast covers lots of teams, not named that school in Columbus. So Xavier got off to a very strong start. Six of nine shots made, took a five point lead, 16-11 at the 13-14 mark. Adam Kunkel, which is the transfer from Belmont, I believe, hit a three pointer, his first basket with Xavier. So Hey, that's a nice way to get your career on the right foot. I was going to say it's Cintas, but this was at uh, 5th-3rd. So, back and forth game, as you would expect. This rivalry is awesome, and I think it's been played every year since World War II. So, yeah, even the coronavirus couldn't stop the Crosstown shootout. Take that, virus. So, yeah, Xavier wins their first their first game at Clifton since 2013-2014. And now won six of the last eight with Cincinnati, including two straight, both against John Brennan. Uh, Paul Scruggs, like I mentioned, game-high 20 points, six for 10 for the floor, eight for eight for the three-throw line. Five rebounds, five assists for Scruggs. Fremantle, who's also a very good player for Xavier, 16 points, 7 of 15 shooting. Also grabbed a game-high nine rebounds. Nate Johnson, 10 points. And four Musketeers had six each. Dwan Odom, Jason Carter, Adam Kunkel, and Brian Griffin. And also Xavier shot for the entire game 51%. 51%. Not bad. And three throws, 20 of 25 for 80%. Pretty good. Although the Bearcats won the battle on the glass 34-31. And also scored a few more points off turnovers, 19-6. Xavier used their bench better. For a 19-12 advantage in points. Also, 17 lead changes, 11 ties. Yeah, Xavier and Cincinnati. May this rivalry continue on. And I know your next thing is you're going to say the right state Dayton should play. Not yet. Because we're not going to talk about the Bearcats run. Actually, let's check in on the women's basketball teams, too. It's not fair that, you know, men's basketball is covered so well, and then this podcast is about teams that don't get that opportunity. So let's talk about Xavier's women's basketball team. Currently 1-0 on the year. They defeated Detroit Mercy in Michigan, 81-73, and haven't played since. That game was November 25th. It's now December 11th on this day of recording. The home game against Morgan State, the Big East opener against Creighton at home, the Big East Road opener at DePaul, number 20 DePaul, postponed. Morgan State's game was canceled. And the Crosstown shootout at Cincinnati, postponed. Actually, we'll double check and see if that, no. Wow, (laughs) there's only four games on this schedule. I hate this virus. I hate it. So the next time for the women's basketball musketeers, this Sunday at home against... Wolford the Terriers and then that next day against Indiana State and then December 16th Xavier visits Valparaiso of the Missouri Valley I was going to say Horizon League (laughs) why am I back in college and then they're scheduled well they were scheduled to be at UConn the 19th but that got postponed and right now the game against Marquette at home on the 22nd at 2 well that's still on for now. So, 1-0 for the Musketeers. And I have a very big feeling that's going to ring true for a lot of teams. Not just women's, but men's too. I know Miami was supposed to take on Defiance College before the turn of the month. And that got canceled. So let's start with men's basketball for UC. We're going northward this time because I said so. 2-1's and one's the Bearcats. You can guess what that one loss was. And like I mentioned, they took down a really talented Furman team. They had a—I forget his name—but they had a kid from Cleveland Heights, and he was the—he uh, was the top player in Division Four in Ohio. It's like, and yet he went to Furman and not any of the Ohio colleges. Oops. But I'm saying that as like I know anything about recruiting, I kind of don't, but. First off, the Bearcats got off on the right foot by defeating Lipscomb at home, 67-55. Lost at home versus Xavier in a game that was not on AM radio, therefore I couldn't listen to it. But that's changing next week, so yay. And then Cincinnati beat Furman, 78-73, in a game where UC had a pretty big halftime lead. What's next for John Brennan's Bearcats? They go to Tennessee this Saturday at 12.30. And it's on SCC Network's alternate channel. And then back home to kick off AAC play against USF Wednesday the 16th. Then they're scheduled to go to Athens, Georgia to take on Georgia. And then at UCF, start the new year, the second Saturday hosting Tulsa. So, yeah, right now the schedule looks okay. There's not a lot of postponements on there, but I don't know if that's just... The schedule was that light to begin with, or the fact that, you know, they took them off the schedule. So, 2 and 1 start for the Bearcats, not bad. I mean, yeah, it was a little disheartening to lose the shootout game at home, but Xavier's 7 0. So, we might have two great D 1 teams in the Queen City, the immediate Queen City. Norfolk, Kentucky's across the river, and we'll talk about the Norse. But let's talk about the women's Bearcats, the basketball women's team, 1-2. and two. They edged out Norfolk, Kentucky in OT, 73 7367, and that was at home November 25th. Could not play against Louisville at home. That got canceled. They fell at Florida, 8158, and they fell at home to Marquette, 8675. They were supposed to take on Xavier last night, but that got postponed And let's see if Cincinnati's schedule has it. It does not. So stay tuned for that. But one and two are the women's Bearcats. And they've been pretty good for the last few years as well. It's just, you know, there's that team called UConn that's a big pest. Oh, wait, they're in the Big East now. That's the Big East's problem in women's basketball. Yeah, UConn Huskies are one of the top teams in uh, women's basketball. With South Carolina, I think Stanford's still strong. Notre Dame, yeah. So, Northern Kentucky. We'll start off with women's basketball because there was a bit of news I saw, and they had a renovation on the website. Looks pretty sharp. I've always liked uh, Northern Kentucky's website. It's just, although the only thing I didn't like was the um, the uh, scheduling for sports. It was very weird. It was like. Here's this sport, and then basketball, and then... I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I'm just nitpicking. 0-4 is the women's basketball Norse team. They fell to Cincinnati, fell at Akron 70-60, fell at home to Bowling Green 63-49, and fell at number 19, that school in Columbus, 96-63. I guess I was thinking the uh, Miami Redhawks fell at that school in Columbus... But there you go. So the Norse were supposed to host Detroit Mercy, but uh, that got canceled. So now Robert Morris is coming into BB&T Arena for the first time as Horizon League members. I still think adding Robert Morris was a great move. Purdue-Fort Wayne, yeah. I mean, in terms of the geological fit. Geographical fit, even geological—they have the same rocks as we do, and everything looks the same. No, I'm the the fit. It, it does fit. I mean, Fort Wayne's kind of in the middle of the Horizon Link now. It used to be Indianapolis, but uh, I think with the addition of Robert Morris in Pittsburgh, I think it's kind of shifted a little bit. So, but there there you go. So yeah, Robert Morris. Now remember the Horizon Link. We'll talk more as we talk about right state. Horizon League schedule is going to be a little bit weird because when you play a team, you play them twice, not home and home, there and there. Two games there. There we go. I just realized I said home and home the backwards way. So, yay. But no, seriously, you have two games at your place, back-to-back days. So, North Kentucky's women's team will take on the Colonials of Robin Morris, their first game is tomorrow at 2, and then they play again Sunday at 2, both at BB&T Arena. And both of those have ESPN Plus links. I think Matt Sexton will be on the call for those. So definitely watch those. Previous guest on this podcast, great guy. So let's talk about men's basketball for the Norse. Now, the Norse were picked fourth in the Horizon League, which surprised me because, you know, past few years have been Wright State, North Kentucky. And Northern Kentucky's normally won the uh, tournament afterwards. But this year, they're 2-2 two and two, to start things off. They start off with two wins. They beat Ball State 74-73, and they beat Tennessee Tech 74-65. Then fell at Chattanooga 79-72. Their game at Butler got postponed. And their game against campbellsville Haroldsburg, a non-Division 1 foe. That got canceled. And then the Norse played at Dayton. Let me tell you about that game at Dayton. Because, well, we got to talk about Miami next, but we'll go ahead and talk about the uh, Norse. That game was supposed to be Purdue-Fort Wayne at UD Arena. Purdue-Fort Wayne, I think, had COVID cases. So that became Northern Kentucky. So they stayed in the Horizon League, but did not play their neighbor 20 minutes away. I'm a Wright State grad. I work at UD. I normally don't talk about this because, A... I don't want to rock the boat. I love working at UD. I love working at Wright State. I love announcing at both schools. But also, let me tell you, when local radio talks about local sports, it's how UD doesn't play Wright State. And just, you know what? If they don't want to play Wright State, the Flyers, that's fine. Okay? Should they play the Flyers, uh, the Raiders? Yeah, they should. It's a rivalry 20 minutes away. It's a rivalry that shouldn't have ended in nineteen ninety-seven. No, it shouldn't have ended. Women's basketball doesn't I, Softball was the only sport that was supposed to play UD last year. And that didn't happen. Well, that because COVID. But I don't know. It's just it's something that, yes, I agree, right state and Dayton should play. It's great for the city of Dayton. You got your two Division I schools. Should be a great rivalry, but it doesn't happen. So, you know, I don't know how many times people can waste their breath on it. I mean, if they don't want it, then you know. So that's my whole take on it. And that's why we don't talk about that as much in this podcast. Cause I, I agree, yeah, right state and Dayton should play, but at the same time, it's not happening. There's a reason behind it. So of course, you don't have to agree with the reason. It is what it is. So, Norse led 18-6, to six, or excuse me, 16-8. to eight. Why is it with me swapping numbers today? I don't know. But the Norse led 16-8 to eight at the first media, and then it was all dating from there. And we'll talk about the Flyers in a little bit. They had a very tough loss to SMU, which uh, there's a lot of people like, it's not last year's team. Of course it's not last year's team. Teams change. That's how sports happens. But... Yeah. Norfolk Kentucky is supposed to play at Kent State this Sunday at 2, and then their first look at Horizon League play will feature the Penguins of Youngstown State coming into bb Arena. And both those games, if you're in the Cincinnati area, will be on AM radio. The Saturday game against YSU is on 1360, and Sunday's game will be on 1530. Why the change? I don't know, but it is trying to think because the the three big sports stations I know 700 isn't technically a sports station but they have sports so 700 13 16 15 30 those are all iHeart stations and I think their studios are by the Kenwood Town Center the tower still on Tylersville Pike you know that big like well, I think it's WW's tower I'm not sure about everyone else's but you know that big tower on Tylersville I don't think you can miss it unless you're not paying attention because you're driving. In that case, good job. Keep driving. Yeah, I, I, I mean, sometimes I'll have Louisville uh, football. Sometimes I'll have Kentucky football. I mean, they have a lot of sports. And it's when I'm in Cincinnati, you can guarantee I'm listening to sports. And a lot of times, it's local content. That's all I want is local contact. Talk about your teams in town. Stop boring me with teams an hour away. I don't care. Okay? Okay. And by the way, stop making fun of the Bengals. It's not funny. Okay? Just because you don't like them doesn't mean nah, everyone's an idiot. Nah. <sighs> <sighs> I have a slight issue with that. Can you tell? But yeah, Norse are 2-2. Two and, two, and they will be at Kent State Sunday at 2 And then Horizon League play starts at home at Youngstown State. And after Christmas at Oakland and the start of the new year, they actually play New Year's Day. And the day after that at home against Purdue-Fort Wayne. So in case you're wondering, Wright State and Nova Kentucky, yeah, but that's not till February. And who knows what the virus does by then. How about a trip to the Miami Redhawks in Oxford, Ohio? Beautiful place. Do have an update on hockey? As the Redhawks fell, remember they're in the bubble in Omaha. Which you know, when you think Omaha, do you think hockey right off the bat? No, I think you know lots of corn and steaks because Omaha steaks. But Denver beats Miami five to one, and that starts ice hockey season. I think I saw was it Steve Baker, or Greg Waddell, both former guests on this podcast. I saw that they were calling the game remotely, you know, in Oxford and watching the action from, uh, uh, what I say, Omaha? Yeah, Omaha. I mean, bubble idea, hey, it worked. NBA didn't really have any positive test in the bubble. Uh, NHL, I think they were clean, maybe a few. I'm trying to remember. But, yeah, NFL, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that whole spiel. I mean... Wednesday afternoon football, yeah. I don't think that was the next step after Thursday night football, Monday night football, Sunday football, you know. You get what I'm saying. So Miami hockey fell to Denver 5-1. You know what? We're going to start with hockey because we do have some hockey to talk about too because this weekend uh, we got – how many games do I have? At least five? Yeah. So the hockey Red Hawks are 0-5 to start the year. They fell all these games in Omaha. They fell to North Dakota two nothing. Fell on OT to Omaha two to one. Fell to Minnesota Duluth five three and four two, and then Denver five one. What else is in the bubble? Well, Omaha tomorrow night at nine oh five. They're in Central Time, right? It's not Mountain, and Omaha. Sure, let's say that. So Omaha, Saturday, then Tuesday against Colorado College, then Denver, Colorado College again, North Dakota, Western Michigan. Actually, Western Michigan's the first game scheduled out of the bubble. Your first home game for the Ice Hawks, Friday the 8th of January. Time to be determined at the Goggin Ice Center. Like I said, when I'm at Goggin, it's a beautiful place, and I love that when we're in the main rink, I get to call the games where the Varsity Redhawks play. Beautiful facility. If only we can have something like that up in Dayton, you know? That'd be great. But there you go. So, yeah, the bubble lasts until the December 20th game against North Dakota, which is five more games, and the Redhawks 0-5 to start their hockey season. We'll go to men's basketball. As Jack Owens, Redhawks two and one. They're coming off a 67-57 win at home against Western Illinois, a game that uh, the score kept calling them West Illinois. I don't think such institution exists. If it does, it's not D1. But and I and I always think that Western Illinois is in the MAC. No, that's Northern Illinois. Western is in the Summit. Eastern is in the Ohio Valley. And Sovereigns in the Missouri. In central Illinois, I don't think is a D1 institution. I think that's just Illinois. But there you go. Redhawks coming off a win at the Miami Invitational. And have Mount St. Joseph tonight at 530. And I should be able to listen to that game. Which, by the way, 980 is airing Miami Redhawks games. It was just that one game, I guess, didn't feel like it. Or something. I don't know. So Redhawks 2 and one Their loss was at Wright State in a game that I was listening to Steve Baker call. And the Raiders won it 71-47. We'll talk about Wright State last because we're doing things in reverse. I don't know why we're doing things in reverse, but we sure are. But we'll talk about Wright State in a little bit. First game, a nice win against their hockey foes, North Dakota. Men's basketball won it 81-67. Again, they were supposed to take on Defiance College. That got canceled. Mount Saint Joseph is on tap for tonight. Looks like that game is still—it's already 1:30. Wow, that game looks like it's still going to be played. But stay tuned. And something I'm noticing is, oh, I guess it's because the Redhawks. No, it's only twice. There's two and two there. I'm, I'm the. Okay, so what I'm looking at right now. So you don't wonder why I'm sounding like an idiot. The University at Buffalo, it's not of, it's at, is supposed to come into Oxford Tuesday, December fifteenth. And that would be the next game after Mount St. Joseph. The Bulls are part of the Mac. In fact, their Bulls football team won the Mac East, and Miami's football team went two and one in the season. Their game at Kent State got canceled. Yes, COVID. Their game at home against Bowling Green got canceled. You guessed it. COVID, it's not showing it's a max school on there. So maybe it's a, you know, oversight. I don't know, but there you go. So, yeah, we'll talk about women's basketball for Miami next. They're one and two on the year, and their next game will be at Central Michigan, which is four days from now. The Redhawks start off the year 88-68 loss at Notre Dame, which apparently Maybe they don't have the rankings on there. But yeah, like I mentioned, Notre Dame is probably one of the one of the top teams to talk about when you're thinking women's hoops. And then supposed to play at Purdue, that got cancelled. They're supposed to play at Wisconsin, that got postponed. And then opening off the year with a home win against Valparaiso 67-49. And then falling at that school in Columbus, 104-65. And like I mentioned, Central Michigan on the road next for Miami. In fact, the next home game, you have to turn it to 2021 because Buffalo will be in town that Saturday, time to be announced. The two road games at Central Michigan at Evansville at 2 p.m. at Mount Pleasant in Evansville. So there you go. Let's talk about the Dayton Flyers. I already got that whole spiel out of the way that, you know, I think Dayton and Wright State should play, but, you know... If it doesn't happen, then there you go. We'll start off with the women's basketball team first. I don't believe they play many games. No, they're one and one. The Flyers beat Moorhead State on the road to kick off the year, 71-57, but then fell at home against Akron, 77-74. Supposed to play at Charlotte yesterday. That got canceled. Supposed to play Alabama A&M at home. That got canceled. Supposed to play Florida at home on Sunday, the 20th at noon. That got canceled and is now a 2 o'clock game against Indiana State. So still game day that Sunday, but not Florida. And then Tuesday at noon on the 22nd, Central Michigan comes into town. And then a 10 play starts before the turn of the year. The Flyers will visit the St. Louis Billikens and then host New Year's Day against St. Bonaventure. And then host Duquesne that third as well. Man, that's a busy, busy schedule there. But one and one start for the women's basketball Flyers. Definitely a great team to watch. And in fact, I have yet to see them. I don't think I'll see them until the 22nd. But just to see who's still on the team. Because I know they lost uh, one of my favorite players, jayla Scaife. Definitely a great player out of Muncie, Indiana. Great four years with UD and graduated from the University of Dayton. So, looking around, they still have Arion Bradshaw. Looks like it's a fairly young team. I see number two, number three, number four, all freshmen, Najee Tyler. I think that's how you say that. It's a redshirt freshman. Akira Cook out of Hamilton from Mount Notre Dame High School in Cincinnati. Nice. And... Capriya Brown from Danville, Illinois, freshman. Kyla Whitehead still there. Anna is a freshman. Amari Davidson, I believe, is a first-year player. Let's look at that full bio. Make sure I'm not talking incorrectly. Jenna Jacone, still there. Bailey Atkins is a freshman. Aaron Whalen is still there, a transfer. Had a pretty nice year last year, too, for the Flyers. Maria Perez is back. Malia Perry. I believe this is her first year she can play for the Flyers as a transfer out of... Uh, Where she transfer from? I know she's from Pickerington Central High School. You got Destiny Bohannon, a redshirt freshman. And Tenen uh, Magasa, a freshman from France. There are a lot of freshmen. This is probably the youngest team And quite some time for women's basketball. In fact, it's one of the youngest teams I've ever, you know, saw. But there you go. So Davidson, I was wrong. She's been at UD for two years. Not a lot of action her freshman year and her sophomore year. She made her debut against UConn. But only started two games because injury. You thought I was going to say coronavirus You're wrong. But yeah, that's a really young team. I didn't realize how much or how much UD was bringing in. Wow. So yeah, 22nd. I'll definitely get to see him then. Well, if that game's still played. So let's talk about men's hoops, the big game in town. The Flyers got off to a 66 63 win against Eastern Illinois and then fell four days later against SMU. Now, SMU, the past few years, has been all right. They're not the top of the crown of the AAC, but they've had some great moments in men's hoops. But the Flyers fall 66-64, and a great second half for the Mustangs. And then, I already talked about it. I promise I'm not going to bring it up again. UD defeats Norfolk Kentucky 66-60. So, what's up next for the Flyers? It's the Holiday Hoopsgiving. Because that's a perfect name for a tournament starting in December. The Flyers go to Atlanta, Georgia at State Farm Arena. You know, with the insurance. And they'll take on Mississippi State. That'll be a pretty good game. It'll be a pretty nice measuring stick for the Flyers. And Again, I've seen a lot of people say, well, It's not last year's team. Of course it's not. That's how college sports works. You can't stay there forever, but, you know, I mean, Obi Toppin, of course, drafted by the New York Knicks. You still have Jalen Crutcher, and he's a great player. In fact, I like to see what Anthony Grant has to work with for this team. Let's pull up that handy-dandy roster and talk about it. Still have Rodney Chapman, uh, E.B. Rotson, great player. This is his last year as a redshirt senior. The Flyers have a couple of freshmen right off the bat. Uh, Luke Frazier, Kobe Bray. Brea? Yeah, I think it's Brea. Uh, Jalen Crutcher, like I mentioned, great player. You got Zimmy Nwakji from Florida, from Spire Academy. Possibly playing in the Flying to the Hoop, because Spire Academy, I believe, is in that tournament. Uh, Mollie Sisku. Sisku. Actually, I don't remember how to say that name. He's a redshirt freshman from Mali, and last school was Lincoln Academy in Georgia. R.J. Blackney. Blackney? From Baltimore, a freshman. You have Jordy uh, Tashamna. I forget how to say most of these names. I apologize. Uh, from Montreal, Quebec. He played last year. Dwayne Cohill is back. He's a junior. Chase Johnson's a redshirt junior. It'll be great to have his size in there, especially after the loss of uh, Ryan Mike to graduation. Uh, Cameron Greer and Christian Wilson. Elijah Weaver, not with a roster number. Actually, his picture shows 11. But on the roster, he is dashed out in the number category. But, yeah, so most of the components are still there for UD's magical season last year. But, you know, things you have to remember, too. (laughs) COVID just went through sports. And we're lucky we're talking about sports anyway. We're lucky we have sports. Let's be real. So what's next for the Flyers? Well, Old Miss comes into town next Saturday at 2:30, and that'll be on NBC Sports Radio, or do what I do—just listen to it on radio, which is uh, 95.7 FM and 1290 AM. I'm trying to think if it's .7 or .3 on the FM tuner. Yeah, it's .7, isn't it? 95.7. And then a 10 play starts December 30th, home against Lasalle. January 2nd gets George Mason, and then the Flyers visit Fordham, and then Davidson, then host Duquesne. And that's your peek at men's basketball UD. Again, should be a very nice year for the Flyers. And last up, my alma mater, Wright State University. I saw and I shared on my Twitter feed that by Hamilton Hall, which is one of the freshman dorms, that they installed... The uh, the seal, which I thought they retired long ago, but uh, yeah, they have the university seal on the rock, and it, it's awesome. It's yes, it looks like a biohazard W, but that, I think that's why I love it so much. It looks really good. We'll start with men's basketball for WSU. Well, they were supposed to be in the uh, tournament at Illinois, that got canceled because COVID on Wright State's side, but the season began just on the third, and the Raiders. They had a great first half against Marshall. Second half, not so much. Thundering Herd win at 80-64 from the Nutter Center. But a nice rebound win two days later for Scott Nagy's crew as Wright State defeats Miami 71-47. And let's look at that box score and talk about that. Yeah, definitely, you know, if Wright State-Dayton don't have a rivalry, Wright State-Miami do. And let me tell you why that's so special. Yeah, Miami's in Oxford, but... Once upon a time, Miami had a campus in Dayton. They now have branch campuses in Middletown, Westchester, and Hamilton. And they've had those for quite some time. I think since the, say since the 60s, but that might even be um, cutting it short. But Wright State was a branch campus of that school in Columbus and Miami. I think that school in Columbus had an adult branch at uh, Wright State and then eventually, Wright State gained their independence away from Miami, and that's going Columbus. And it's a shame that most of the students don't know that. But, yeah, Wright State has sports, and their Division One. So, there you go. Raiders win it uh, 71-47, outscoring the Red Hawks 39-21. Wright State played well in that first half, and then Miami had uh, a couple big shots to send it to half. And then the Raiders' foot on the pedal, and zoom. So, your point leaders, if I can figure out how to work this crazy machine. Javen Etzler of Miami led the Hawks charge with nine. Delonte Brown, James Beck, and Precious Aya with eight points apiece. Isaiah coleman Lands had seven of his own. That's your majority of the 47. And for Wright State's 71, it's Trey Calvin leading the way, 16 points. And also went 4 of 8 from 3-point shooting with a steal. You have 14 points from Grant Basile. Uh, 13 points for Tim Finke. He was the uh, post-game interview for the Raiders. You can you know watch it on their website, WSURaiders.com. And 11 points for Loudon Love with 7 rebounds. Dre Finke had himself a double-double day with 13 points, 11 boards. Uh, the Raiders had 47 rebounds for Miami's 39. So all in all... Pretty good day for Wright State, second half a lot better. And now they'll head to the road for the first time this year. It's weird that we're, what, 14 days away from Christmas and Wright State is 1-1. One one. Normally by now we're uh, we're pretty far into non-conference play, but coronavirus does funny things. The Raiders get to go to Bowling Green to take on the Falcons Sunday at noon. And then Horizon League play begins as the Detroit Mercy Titans welcomes in Wright State for two on the 19th and 20th of December. And then home go the Raiders after Christmas, the 26th and 27th, against Wisconsin Green Bay. And then you turn the year and 2021 has Wright State at Oakland for a pair and then Youngstown State in January 8th and 9th, and like I mentioned, at Norfolk, Kentucky at the end of the year, 19th and 20th of February. So let's look at women's basketball. Uh, Lyle in Love still with the Raiders, still, you know, still a great player. I'm hoping he gets, you know, draft looks too. I I think he'd do pretty well in the NBA, but, you know, we'll see. So the women's team's 0-2. They had a close loss against Bradley at home, 66-61. And then fell at number 24, Michigan, 82-59. And then are supposed to be at Detroit Mercy this Saturday and Sunday. But I saw somewhere. You know what? There's a nice link on the page. Let's go to DetroitTitans.com. Because the women's team, if you remember the Norse, were supposed to host Detroit Mercy. But that got changed to Robert Morris. And no. Am I I wrong then? Because there was a change. This is from today. So I don't know what I'm talking about then. But yep. Wright State will go to Detroit Mercy. And that will be tomorrow and Sunday. Both at 2 o'clock. And that's all for college basketball. I'm... I'm afraid to see how much time I've used, an hour and a half. Okay, it's not terribly, terribly bad. But, yeah, it's nice to get back and talk local sports. Too bad it's not on Dayton Radio. I guess I'm supposed to talk about the Bengals, aren't I? Yeah, the Bengals lost again to the Dolphins. Yeah, Sean Williams stepped on a Dolphins player's ankles and got suspended for this game, and it was upheld, so he can't, you know, challenge it. We weren't supposed to have another two-win season with Burrow at the helm. And you know what? It's not Burrow's fault. I mean, yeah, he's made mistakes, but they're not game-costing mistakes. Although at Indy, I guess he threw that pick. But then again, don't blow a three-touchdown lead to close out the second quarter, you know. Just saying. But no, Joe Burrow is the cornerstone of our franchise and we have to do a better job. I say we as fans. The Bengals have to do better job protecting their investment. So, yeah. At this point, I'll listen to Bengals games because that's what I do. I like the Bengals and I follow them. But at the same time, you know, I'm not expecting any more wins past this point. And I kind of hope it stays like that because I want the Bengals to get the offensive tackle from... Oregon. I've talked about this on the podcast, and I said offensive line is still a crucial spot. And you know what? At this point, the coaching staff might need to change. I mean, there's a lot of people calling for Zach Taylor's head, and I'm, I'm not with a torch and pitchfork, but at the same time, you know, he's not doing so hot, and he needs coaches. I thought the whole plan for Zach Taylor was, he's going to have coaches that he learns from, and then he takes charge. You know what I'm saying? I know he was trying to get Bill Callahan, who went to that team by the lake, who has their first winning season in, what is it, 26 billion bajillion years? Ooh. Yeah. All right. First winning year. Yeah. You went this entire last decade without a winning season. So, you know, act like you've been there before, even though, yeah, I know. (sighs) I'm sorry. Normally, I don't even let trash talk get to me, but it's just that point. I think it's just, you know, listening to the radio is just saying how the Browns are untouchable and the Bengals are just, you know, piles of garbage. But, oh, yeah, that game against Miami, (laughs) Brian Brian Flores of the Dolphins, he's the head coach, he actually was defending his players, which, uh, yeah, you know, Golf clap for him. I I definitely respect that. I think he's a great coach. Now, remember that big scrum that the Bengals and Dolphins got into? You know, that one. And remember that picture from Twitter? You know, that one. There's only like five on there. Remember that picture where the offensive line is sitting on the bench and everyone else is getting around into, you know, a big scrum? Yeah. Like I said, offensive line has to be fixed and it has to be fixed. You know, going back to that one sack that uh, Brandon Allen suffered where Bobby Hart uh, imitates a sliding door. He slides in and, you know, the rush on the blitz on the left side comes in and just nails Allen by, you know, the Bengals' own end zone. I uh, There was someone arguing that it was uh, Quentin Spain's fault, which he would be the uh, right tackle in that offensive line. Well, yeah, he was co-tackling with, uh, who was it, Trey Hopkins as center? Yeah, he probably should have got the guy, but Bobby Hart just slides to the right. There's no one there. Why is he having trouble with the blitz coming in? Uh, Offensive line needs fixed. I don't know how many other ways you need to say it. I don't know how many ways you need to listen to it. That's priority number one. Not wide receivers, not tight ends. Offensive line. Get that line to a proper caliber. Get an offensive line coach that makes them strong. And just fix the offensive line. I don't know how many times I need to say that. And also towards the latter end of the draft, not first pick, maybe consider finding a kicker. Because Randy Bullock's misses is starting to add up. Granted, I know, I mean, he's make more than he's missed, sure. But again, the misses are starting to add up. So, maybe put that in the pocket. I don't know. But yeah, offensive line. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it now. Cowboys are in town. That will be Andy Dalton and his reunion in Cincinnati. Which should have been Dalton versus, well, technically should have been Dak Prescott versus uh, Joe Burrow. But uh, yeah, both those quarterbacks down with injuries. So it should have been Joe Burrow possibly versus Andy Dalton, which no, his hair isn't blue. What a jip. No, but, uh, yeah, Dallas isn't doing so well. Like I said, I don't want the chance for any other team to sneak in there and pick up Sewell from Oregon. I don't want that. I want the offensive line fixed and I want the Bengals to compete in the AFC North and not get blown out by Pittsburgh or Baltimore I want the Bengals to take over the North. That's what I want. And that's what Bengals fans want. They don't want to see Pittsburgh and Baltimore run around. They don't want to see Pittsburgh with 40-year-old Roethlisberger almost have a complete perfect season. They don't want to see Lamar Jackson run across. Well, I want to see the Bengals on top. Okay? Lamar Jackson, great athlete. Ben Roethlisberger, what a season he's having. Considering he had major elbow surgery and his age, it's impressive. And yes, Pittsburgh did lose to the football team. <laughs> oh, the team. I didn't know if Pittsburgh was going to go undefeated. I mean, I I thought Baltimore was going to beat them once, but no, that that didn't turn out to be. And Baltimore's kind of, uh, they're in third place, aren't they? I guess they are. And again, I know I, I ragged on the Browns fans for saying, oh, you got a winning season. I still think Safonsky's the answer, and it's about time. How many coaches how many coaches did the Browns have in the 2010s? Just out of curiosity. I lost count. I mean, there's Hugh Jackson, there's Freddie Kitchens, there's Greg Williams as the interim. Who was before Hugh? It wasn't Mike Pettine? was it? Was it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I act like I remember that, but uh... I don't know. Uh, back to the coaching staff. I definitely think the old line coach Jim Turner needs to be shown the door after the season. It's like, thank you. You know, don't come back. We'll send your stuff and your check in a few weeks. Defensive coach, uh, I know there's a lot of people want him gone. It just there there's diamonds in there. The Bengals defense shouldn't be, you know, that you know see I just, I don't know. I, I think there's new coaches that need to be there. Some can stay. You know what? I If Zach Taylor can show me that, you know, he's learned from his first two years, then, you know I'd Give him a third. And of course, I know. I'm talking about the organization that held Dave Shula too long, and they hold coaches that shouldn't be there too long. I mean, Marvin Lewis... I like the guy. He did great things in Cincinnati, and it was time for him to go. But, yeah, Bengals. Third in the draft thus far, New York Jets possibly going 0-16. Don't we play the Jets? You know what? I'm going to have to look. I don't think we do. Jacksonville is number two, in case you're wondering, and it's... Looking like they will probably stay at the number two spot. Like I said, a win for me. that makes me worried that some of the NFC East teams leapfrog the Bengals. I mean, the Giants game was close, and I'm glad that the Giants won it because again, I'm thinking strength of the line in the draft. Dallas is in town. Pittsburgh's in town next week. Monday night football. I'm surprised that hasn't been flexed out yet. Although, can you flex out Monday night? I don't think you can, outside COVID reasons. Houston, waits. Cincinnati, Baltimore. Dallas is a possible win. I mean, the Cowboys' defense. Ugh, putrid. Ugh. And, of course, you have, uh, yeah. You got Andy Dalton. SQB, so at least there's a little stability there. I mean, it's sad what happened to Dak, especially in the year he was trying to prove himself. Had a great start, and then bam, there goes the injury. I feel for the guy, because I I like Dak. Pittsburgh, what can I say? Uh, Cincinnati did a nice job stuffing the run in Week 10 against Pittsburgh on the road. But just allowing Ben to throw for nearly 400 yards, that'd be a season high. Uh, yeah. Houston, I don't know what to expect out of the Texans, honestly. I mean, Romeo Cornell's the interim coach. They did the right thing in getting rid of Bill O'Brien, especially after getting rid of your top wide receiving talent, DeAndre Hopkins. Why would you do that? I don't know. But like I said, he's gone. NRG Stadium. I did not realize the change from Reliance Stadium, but there you go. And week 17, Baltimore. Man, how many positive tests have Baltimore had? And Des Bryant, he was practicing and then got the results that, hey, you got COVID. Your test is positive. Come off the field. It's like, man, it's been brutal this football year. Not just because the Bengals have two wins, but COVID's been a mess it's a shame. It's a shame. Because I know we all need a little football in our lives. And hopefully we have uh, basketball and hockey. They're not going back to the bubble. Although, NHL, uh, as of uh, before recording this, because normally I don't look things up when I'm uh, recording podcasts, they were looking to have temporary divisions where all the Canadian teams are in one because, you know, you can't really get into Canada because of the virus. And... And putting the Blue Jackets in a division with Detroit. That's great because Detroit is uh not great at the moment. So hey, maybe Columbus can pick up a few wins against the Red Wings. That'd be that'd be cool. But oh, it's just the bad contracts and everything. Maybe Detroit will, you know, get things back on track. We'll see. We'll see. But now the all Canadian division, think about it. Montreal to Vancouver. That's about from Maine to Los Angeles in the United States. That's a flight. That's a a very long bus trip. I I don't know Canadian roads, but is there really a straight trek from Montreal to Vancouver? Think about how many territories you're going past. Quebec, Ontario, um, Sacagawean. I was going to say Saskatoon, but that's a town. Um, Alberta, then British Columbia. Yeah, there's a lot. So... There you go. Um, hopefully we have those sports. It would be nice to see Blue Jackets hockey. And speaking of hockey, we still have ice hockey. And I know I, I didn't send in a recap of last week's stuff. Sorry, Ohio Hockey Digest. I have been busy with family life and with other broadcasting avenues. But more than that in a second. So... The Capital Hockey Conference is back to having conference games and Upper Arlington's Ice Hockey team tweeted that they're back, so that's great. Now, this weekend was supposed to be the conference opener for the Springboro Panthers. And the first game was supposed to be at Dublin Jerome. DJ is having a bit of problem with COVID. In fact, I think Dublin City Schools, I think it's kind of hit them pretty bad. I mean, Dublin's a pretty big... Uh, very big suburb, northwest of Columbus, so. Although next Saturday, Dublin Kaufman is supposed to be coming in for a 7 o'clock game. Not sure if that's gonna be changed or not, but so your new schedule looks like this. Olin Tangi Berlin will await the Springboro Panthers, and that game will should be at the Chiller North, not the Dublin Chiller. So Olin Tanger Berlin will now host the Panthers. And then, instead of New Albany coming in, which is on the other side of Columbus, it's Thomas Worthington. Now, if you remember the episode where I'm talking about the reverse retro jerseys, talking about Montreal's blue jersey, yeah, I said it's the Thomas Worthington jersey because they kind of had that for a long time. So, yeah, Cardinals are pretty good. So, still a pretty good test. It's not quite, you know, go at the red division first and then see where you stand. But, at the same time, all in Thomas Worthington, no slouches. And then... Beaver Creek will host Springboro at South Metro Sunday at 11. I said Beaver Creek hosts Springboro at South Metro. Yeah, Kettering rinks closed. Not sure if they'll be back open for the hockey season. Uh, December 20th, they're supposed to come back with a decision if they'll resume youth hockey. But... uh, yeah, Beaver Creek and Alter are calling South Metro home for the time being, which I love. I, I especially love Alter coming back because my first year covering high school hockey, it was Centerville, it was Springboro, and it was Alter. It was awesome. After that year, Alter moves to the Catering Rec, which, you know, makes sense. It's a catering school, and they're playing at the Catering Rec with uh, Beaver Creek. So there was a nice little rivalry there, and especially when Alter and Beaver Creek got played, yeah, that place gets loud. It's It's awesome. It's sad that student sections aren't allowed to come out it's parents only at the moment but I mean the alternative is we don't have sports and I'm uh, I'm blabbing on about something else or I have interviews which uh, hopefully will start again next week but we'll see So yeah, that's what Springboro has Alter has Mason tonight at eight o'clock from South Metro and they have another game. Is it Talawanda uh, Sunday night at 7.45? Yes, I said Sunday night 7.45, which uh, it's a little bit weird because normally Sunday we get out of there right as the sun sets. But, yeah, ice hockey is still carrying on. I miss my Centerville ice hockey family. And, yeah, things are going pretty well at TKDS Sports. I know a lot of people might not like the change of, hey, it's free to, you know, now it's 4K with graphics, and uh, oh yeah, I'm getting paid. But uh, never mind. No, I, I mean, I, I know it's a change, and I know it's you know kind of a drastic one because you know you tell people go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, and then wait for the uh, stream to start. Whereas this one, you know, you you have to. It's ten bucks per game, which you know that's not bad. Tickets are a little less. Uh, But at the same time, a lot of that money goes back to school. Only, what did my boss Kevin Fowler tell me? By the way, I I am planning to have Kevin Fowler on my podcast sometime soon. What did he say? About 10% goes back to TKDS? And, you know, not really exposing all what goes on behind the scenes, but uh, it's a lot because TKDS has several crews. I mean... They have to with all the G-Walk schools they cover. Now Carlisle's in the mix. I think Bellbrook might be in the mix. So, yeah, uh, Kevin does a nice job with TKDS Sports. And I, I implore you, you know, it's 10 bucks, and most of it goes back to the athletic department. So, please, just consider that. Okay, I got that out of my system. That seems to be the big fight, but I'm not going to cover it on here. But, yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed my time with uh, TKDS and definitely with Ice Hockey back. Luckily, Ice Hockey is back. I'm also broadcasting again for WPTW. I just had my second game earlier this week on a Wednesday as Tip Canoe beat Piqua 79-46, and I got to work again with Coach Jim Brown, who has also been on this podcast as well. It's so amazing how many have been on my podcast. It's a small world, but... Um, yeah, Coach Brown knows a lot about basketball. He's he's very knowledgeable about the sport, and he really knows uh, his stuff too. So it's awesome work with him. And it's awesome talk about you know times in college. Like you know, <laughs> it's amazing how much I've improved from my time at WWSU to now. So yeah, I definitely love the fact I'm part of uh, WPTW. I have. Uh, Five more games? I had four. I took one. So, yeah, I got five more games. And I'm back on the air. uh, 98.1 FM, 1570 AM in the Miami County area. I think it goes as far south as uh, uh, Fort McKinley, which is North Dayton. So, if you're not in the Piqua area, uh, 981 WPTW is the way to listen or even get that tune-in app. And when you get that tune-in app, you can listen not only that and plenty of our stations, but you can also find the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast there. Mmm, pretty good listening. Lots of local sports. Mmm. My next game will be West Carrollton at Pickwell, And I got stops at Miami East, Sydney, Tip. And I feel like there's one more school. Sydney, Tip, Uh, Miami East. Piqua, that might be it, but yeah, uh, back on radio, it's awesome. I uh, I can't thank the fine folks at PTW enough for you know bringing me into the fold to do some basketball. Yes, I've had a little rust. It's been a while since I called basketball on uh, WTGR in Greenville, but hey, okay, when I got a color commentator that's knowledgeable as Coach Brown is, it, that kind of helps. So, and yeah, Tips Team, I tell you. They got a three-headed monster in Frederick uh, Knootsman and uh, Kopik, because between those three gentlemen, they scored uh, a little under sixty points of the seventy-nine scored by the Red Devils. Yeah, they're pretty good. And I don't know what it is about Tip Sports in general, but it seems like all the teams I've seen, they're like they're like a foot taller than the rest. I it must be some good Tip City water, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just you know. I don't know if that's true or if I'm just. I don't know. Although, to be fair, Piqua's size was pretty comparable. Maybe uh, they were shorter than Tippecanoe by like an average, but at the same time, you know, they're not that short. It's not like five foot kids against like 10 foot kids. Let's not get that crazy. It's like, you know, the majority of the Red Devils were about six foot three, six foot two, and Piqua was about six foot, six foot one. That type of thing. So, you get what I'm saying. But yeah, I get to broadcast boys basketball on the radio again. Yes! I'm very excited. So, and yeah, and, and I had a game with ESP Media in Wyoming. I got to see the Cowboys facility first time ever. It's a really nice gym. Oh, you know? And I really wish the Valley View Wyoming rivalry would continue on outside football. You know what I'm saying? I know Valley View, Wyoming, playoff football, that's one of the top series you can get in Division IV. But at the same time, I mean, it's two similar areas. Wyoming's a very nice small village, and they recently opened up a facility, like an indoor turf facility, which is something that most schools would dream of having. But it was really cool. It's really cool to broadcast from Wyoming. I definitely enjoy broadcasting for ESP. And I've heard that there might be opportunities for me in January. Maybe even consisting of swimming, wrestling, and bowling. Never broadcasted swimming. I've only announced it. Same with wrestling. And bowling, I've never announced or broadcasted it. So I got to do my homework, which I will. You don't have to worry about that. I'm a professional broadcaster here. So, you know, I do my job well. But still, broadcasting, bowling. I've never thought that I would get that shot, and I might. So that will do it. That's episode 195, again, brought to you by the letter M and brought to you by the number two hours because, uh, yeah, this episode went two hours. And you know what? There is one more thing. The Columbus crew are playing for the MOS Cup this Saturday. What a ride Columbus has had. And, yes, we talk about the crew along with FC Cincinnati, so I don't want to hear a lot of boos and oohs and all that stuff. You call that school school in Columbus, and now you're talking about the crew, and you're a hypocrite. No, because I can assure you, local Dayton radio doesn't talk about anything outside that school in Columbus football, Browns and making fun of the Bengals and Reds, and maybe college basketball, but, you know, there you go. So, yeah, Columbus crew looking for their second cup, which means a second little star above their logo. In case you ever wonder what that star was, that's what it is. Championship. Yeah, uh, they're taking on the Seattle Sounders. They've had a lot more success in the Cups. I think they've won four, and they've won two of the last three. Is that correct? It sounds correct. So it'll be a tough matchup, but I believe it's in Columbus. And I believe that the crew will win. They are without a couple of midfielders important to the team. At uh, same time, they still got to play. Oh hey, it's trending because Dabo Swinney is talking the truth for Clemson, saying that you know Texas was Texas Tech. They're eleven and one. Is it Texas a&M? Well, the schools that are eleven and one, they should be in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. He's not afraid of the Buckeyes. He's only beaten them what what six times and shut them out thirty-one and oh. But uh, yeah, go ahead and thank that. But that'll do it because if I continue anymore, I'm just going to talk trash and not facts. So, 196, hopefully, we will have some interviews for you. And hopefully, you have a lovely holiday. It's the uh, last night was the start of uh, Hanukkah. So, definitely, happy holidays and happy Hanukkah to any of you listeners that celebrate the holiday. It's going to say celebrate the sport. What is wrong with me? Oh yeah, I'm on a make fun high. But there you go. We'll talk to you again for episode 196. If you want local sports, it's not on Dayton Radio. It's on the Sunday Sports Podcast. And that'll do it for the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, episode 195. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark Sindaypod.com, the official website of the local Cinday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more.